Welcome to the Football by Football podcast. Let's do it. And here we go. It's a real thing, Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. It's a playoff week, so these are always a little extra fun. It's why we do the shows all year, so you know the team is close as you possibly can from the outside. That includes myself, so that when the games matter most, you got the best possible insight of how your team might perform, who they match up against best, uh, how the teams can get at them, how the Patriots can get at the opponent. I think we know this team as good as we possibly can coming into this thing. We got a a big week there to sort of stretch our wings last week and uh, look into some other stuff in relation to the defense, in relation to how they sort of exited the regular season, where they sat personnel-wise, and all those kinds of things. But now we get to do sort of a a micro-focus week where we're actually not like a normal show looking back on a game and then forward to the next. We can spend all of our time here looking ahead to the Tennessee Titans. Um, and those are fun. And, and, I, and I can tell you, you know, part of this show, obviously, is that, that I used to play a little bit in this league. And, and I can kind of share experiences that I've had uh, in, in, in sort of the game and preparation week and how that's different in moments like this. You know, fortunately, in my six years of the Patriots, not with the Jets. I don't think we, we made the playoffs once, but we certainly didn't get a bye. But, mo, uh, you know, very often, whatever that number was, you can look it up on me if you want to fact check me. But uh, we got the bye. I remember getting at least several times. And uh, the idea of, of that little extra juice that, that goes in your week when you know that, you know, you did kind of get to stretch a little bit the week before and you worked on some internal stuff, but you worked a little bit on this next team. But then that moment you knew, oh, Tennessee won. They're in. Okay, we're well, okay. We're facing the Titans. Perfect, perfect. You re- and then you have that little recollection about the handful of periods you did within the week, the practice periods within the week, that you know where they pick and choose. Uh, you know, maybe a dozen concepts from each of the three possible opponents. You re- you know, and you knock those periods out. Hopefully, they didn't give you any trouble. And as soon as you realize, oh, those are the ones we're going to be doing. Oh, okay, great. Now let's do like a full focus week. It's kind of fun as a player. You know, once that you know the results gone down. Um, you know, you've had a little extra family time during the bye week, and now you get to pop out the other end, and you hyper focus. I mean, I was always uh, kind of a film nut. Uh, uh, Larry Izzo, myself, uh, you know, obviously the, the other linebackers, Raves and Brew, and all those guys. We love to sit in a dark room and watch film and really look hard at a team um, in normal weeks, anyhow. But when you start talking about playoff weeks, there's that little extra time to focus more. And it's great. I, I'll be honest with you. I, there's never I've some of the times where I felt most comfortable that I was that I knew anything that could possibly come at me from the other side were playoff games, because you've got a season's worth of information if you want to dig that far. And really, the best of it's what's going on in the last month. But you've also got a little extra time and a little extra opportunity to dig a little deeper. So maybe, and I'll, as an example, uh, something that that, you know, obviously as I was a backup linebacker with the Patriots for the years I was here. So a lot of times when I was doing my little studies and doing the, they called it the Chatham Report, where I get up in front and present to people, I was trying to find particular things that percentage tendencies, um, little keys about offensive linemen splits or, or stances or, you know, tendencies not so much in down and distance stuff, but relative to where things ended up in a formation, all that kind of stuff. We would dig and dig and dig each week and try to find, you know, two or three or maybe four that were lock, you know, locks, like stuff that, okay, you can go in there with absolute certainty, Brew uh, or Brabes or, or TJ or, you know, Willie or whatever, uh, Fife, and um, this is going to happen. If you see this, go, you know, this, you know, that kind of thing where, you know, I felt with an absolute amount of certainty that I could share that information that I may only get to use myself once, but that they can use 10 times and you don't want to be wrong. (laughs) So that's why the playoffs are fun because you can, you can really, you can feel even more certain about what you think you've seen because people don't change the playoffs. You know, you don't, you don't do something for 16 weeks and then, you know, come up with some new scheme. It just doesn't happen. So some of your best information is then. Uh, and some of the moments where it's like, okay, I, you know, we know when the Colts are in, you know, just I'm, I'm reminiscing here going back to old stuff. But, you know, the Colts line up in such and such formation out of such and such personnel. And the number two spot is 
this far from the tackle, uh, and they begin this kind of motion at this portion of the shot clock for them. Stuff like that where you can get a jump, and it's, that is a cool feeling in football if you get into that kind of stuff because that's really what it's all about. It's a strategy game. It's chess. I know that, that gets overused, but it's, this is playoff week is chess with a lot of advanced move notice. You know, you can, you, if you're into that kind of game, or you know, playing that part of the game, the playoffs are more fun because the information's better. You got longer time to absorb it. So as I was referencing, you know, going into a regular season game and trying to come up with two or three or four little things that the guys could latch onto and go make a you know sort of a preemptive play, get a jump on something, alert something to the rest of the defense, check us out of something we otherwise didn't want to be in. Or for me, more more pointedly on special teams, you know, really get a jump on where I think the return's going based on the way a guy drops in front of me. Really just destroy the guy in front of me that I'm blocking in, in punt return or kick return because I completely, totally, I've had extra days to to study how he tries release, where his hand placement is, how loose his jersey is, where he cuts it, where he tapes it, uh, how he releases once he's you know in panic mode, once I've got him, you know what are his counters, all that kind of stuff, man. That's I know, and this is very wonky. This is deep stuff. You're not going to hear this on those shows, but I, I I think that's why you why you tune in for the na- next level, a little deeper stuff, and that's that's what the playoffs are all about. And and you know, and I say this not trying to let you pretend. That you know, or not pretending that you know this is how, what's going through every player's head. It's not. Rosters made of fifty-three different guys. There's a big handful of them that are just good. You know, are mentally probably approaching every single one the same way. But there's enough guys on each side of the football that kind of like to have that extra information. And you know, you can't have eleven guys thinking that way. Some people just have to, you know, see ball, hit ball kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, these are the weeks where the people that like to dig a little deeper, and, you know, I think that's in part why you see Mike Vrabel out there as a, as, as a head coaching candidate. Mike was one of those guys. You know, Mike is a guy who really understood the ins and outs and every little angle of the game. And, uh, you know, that stuff helps you when you get out. I think it helped me when I got out to to want to do this analyst stuff because, you know, you don't just have to, you know, stare down one hallway. You can see a decent perspective on all of them. So that's why this is fun. I love the playoffs, uh, and I try not to hide that from you guys. And it's not just great because it's the last game potentially. It's great because there's a little extra juice in the week uh, and, and why you're preparing for what you're preparing for and how you get to prepare for it. And uh, there's a slight nervousness in the building. There's sort of a heightened, uh, a heightened everything. But, you know, more smiles, more jumpiness. Uh, you know, there's a little tension that can happen in practices. And this isn't that bullshit <laughs> tension of the, the, the Gossip Girl stuff, the stories and all that stuff. I'm not talking about that kind of tension that was, that was fabricated. Whoopsie. That your alarm's going off during the middle of your podcast. Um, but anyway, so I, I'm talking about the in-practice tension where it's like, okay, this this matters to me a lot that I get this one practice period and then I freaking nail this. I've been spending all my time off the field studying the hell out of this tight end, say, for example, and how he releases and what he does. Or I've been spending all this time studying their kickoff team for me personally and how how I'm going to drop and if they twist, how I'm going to locate my guy and all that stuff. And, you know, I need need to see their kick return because I want to see exactly how they drop and I want their returns executed exactly as they execute them because you know what I want to go down and make that tackle inside the 20 I want to I want to beat the tight end quickly and get a tackle for a loss I want to help my team that kind of stuff so the tension in a playoff week is less about you know some nonsense about a, a stretch trainer from from you know from September October that the media finds out about two months later and tells the story after it's dead uh, and, and completely irrelevant not that kind of tension the tension of uh, are you giving me a good look uh, in practice, am I giving you a good look? Uh, those are the things that fights more break out of. Hey, get this shit right. We're trying to win a playoff game here. We're trying to win the whole damn thing. Um, that's where tension is. Tension between coaches and players a little bit during this week. That if like, hey man, I don't like this look. I don't. I, we keep running this defense. It hasn't worked in the plays in practice. We run that shit against them. It may not work. You know, there's there's little little dust ups that happen during the week about stuff like that, where it's like you guys have put together the coaches we love. Uh, you know, I, we always had a great relationship with our coaches. Which is Dean Pease, who's now retiring, and Matty Patricia towards the end of my career with the Patriots, or my, my stint with the Patriots. And then, uh, you know, but back to Rob Ryan and Pep J, Pep Johnson, and, uh, you know, all those guys, they pour themselves into this stuff throughout the year. 
and they get to know you. They get to know the strengths and weaknesses of their guys. Uh, they put together a game plan with Bill about what they think is going to work best based upon what has and hasn't worked for you throughout the year and how they think it matches up against the Titans. And you start into a practice week and you start going through your play deck. And, you know, the, occasionally there's a play or a, a, a coverage or whatever it is, some tag tags or, or, or an additional part to a play that's put on the end of a call that you can change into if you see something happen from the offense and, and before the play starts. Things like that where, you know, there'll be a little tension with players where, you know, you'll start to run something that doesn't work well in practice. And other than taking the feedback from the coaches to just run that better, uh, we've had our little blow-ups where it's like, no, we, we, that's as good as that can be run, reasonably so, at this juncture. Let's, let's run something else. Let's shit-can that, right? That's the real stuff that goes on, and that's why we call it the real thing, Patriots Podcast. That's the real shit that causes tension during playoff weeks. And not negative tension, the kind of positive energy where everyone, even when you're fighting with one another, you're moving towards the same thing. This other nonsense is, it doesn't, you know, it, 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 it makes for great copy, it makes for stuff that people will read. It makes for other people that are similarly clueless to pat one another on the back that great insight, great get, great journalism. It's not because it, it took, for me personally, a matter of a couple phone calls with the other person laughing on the other end to say that is, that is a, an incredibly poor reflection of what things are really like in here. The, the stuff they're referencing, A, that didn't happen, or B, is so minor and small that the notion that it – manifested into a fissure or uh, something that was permeating the team or roster or building. It's complete nonsense. So even when you take something that may be factually correct and only a percentage of that stuff was, but when you take something that's factually correct, uh, the most important part is, you know, how you weight it. What does it mean? What does it mean is the most important part, not that it happened. It happened, and if, you know, even if you find something that did happen, if you're going to exaggerate what the effect was or completely, you know, conflate that or, or go with some third-party hearsay that, that claims it's something that the people in the room know it's not. Uh, it gets laughed off. So if you're a fan out there, and you know, I dug off on a little tangent there, but if you're a fan out there wondering about what's really going on in that building this week, it has nothing to do with the stuff you've been reading about. Sorry. It's just that's the reality of it. That doesn't mean they don't have stresses and issues and things they're working on. They certainly do. And that doesn't mean it's all kumbaya either. It just doesn't mean that anyone in that building gives a rat's ass about some you know stretching situation coach from earlier in the year or what happened with Jimmy fucking two months ago? You know, that, it just shit doesn't matter today. It just does not matter today. It's, it's media fodder. It's nothing to do with the football team. The football team isn't dealing with it. So you don't have to speculate on or wonder as a fan, how are they handling it? Because they ain't thinking about it. That's, that stuff is irrelevant to them. So when you hyper-focus on it as a media person, you're not really focusing on what the team's focusing on. So are you doing your job? That's, that's my view. Um, so anyway, moving on. Um, into the actual nuts and bolts. So there's sort of a big picture of, you know, in my view, in my experience anyway, of what it feels like during a playoff week. You know, where, what you're building towards, what you're excited about. Maybe that little extra dinner with the wife and kids or something after one of these practices. You stay a little extra late, but then you have a late night <laughs> nightcap with the family. And there's that anticipation. There's sort of a, a Christmas Day feel, you know, a Christmas Eve feel, I guess, a, a building Christmas Eve towards that big playoff day throughout the week. It's fun, man, and, and women <laughs> who, are, who are listening to this show. But it's, you know, that's, that's what I, is the most important thing to come through, to shine through. If if we're going to give insight about a football team, if we're going to try to reflect what's going on with them, deal with that stuff because that's the stuff that's real. That's the stuff that's most important. That's the stuff that hits in the top 10, not the outside the top 100 that may be technically true and only a percentage of which. So let's move through this. Um, one of the things that I sort of alluded to off the top is that obviously we don't have a game to review. So we can spend our next 30-ish minutes here or so going through hyper-focus about what the Titans are all about. And I am a guilty party, and it's not. I don't think I was inaccurate. The guilt, uh, the, the guilt here, is being a little bit dis dismissive of the Titans during the season, and uh, you know they earned that dismissiveness. I don't think there's any question about that. It's just that you don't want to. And, and, and the dismissiveness I'm talking about is when they had started build a, build up an okay record early in the season, they get annihilated by the Steelers. 
a road game there. I believe it was a road game. And then, you know, and I watched that game like a lot of people did and said, okay, Titans are pretenders. Write them off. They suck. Don't worry about them. I mean, not that they suck, but you, you know what I mean. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking over the top here. Um, but I, I think, and, and then, you know, that was a more mid-to-mid-late season kind of thing. And then you look at the downstretch, the final month of the year, and you're like, okay, that's a team that's scratching and clawing, but you don't have to concern yourself with them necessarily because they don't have what it takes. We saw that in November, whatever it was. So one thing now, and the reason I'm saying that there's some, there's a bit of a fallacy in that kind of thinking is some people have stinkers and they did. And for me to just say that the Titans are everything that happened in that Steelers game and that's it. And uh, you don't have to worry about them. That's sort of the, the view from 10,000 feet. If you're a Patriots fan, just trying to figure out who are your threats to the title and things like that. But those things, those don't matter in a one-off. Those don't, those things don't matter in a one game where you may match up differently in those couple contests where you felt like they air quote proved themselves or showed their true colors or some, some sort of, uh, you know, metaphor to that extent. Um, and, and that's, I think that's important. And that's probably what you hear from coach Bel- is what you hear from coach Belichick when he goes through his pressers, when he does his, his phoners this week, when he does his interviews with, with, uh, with Dale and, and Holly and Keith and those guys at EI, you know, that's what he's focusing on. Do you think he's not aware of the times that have been blown out? Of course he is. But what you're coaching, what you're focusing on as a player is their best moments. And their best moments are pretty good. They are. And that's that's a better recheck of myself after you know, going back through their season and, and looking at their best moments. And I'm not building this up to try to freak you out as Patriots fans that the Titans are going to beat you. It's not that. It's just that you always have to respect the opponent in front of you. And the people that don't respect what's in front of you, you know who those people are? Those are people that have never been in a fight. Those are people that have never been punched in the mouth. So when you're dismissive of something that has the ability to punch you, usually that speaks to inexperience in my view. If you're dismissive and out of hand, say this person can't hurt me, this can't do me, you're the kind of person that's never been in a fight. And a person that's been in a lot of fights knows that, that everyone's got a puncher's chance, especially one that's pretty well coached, that has tough players, that has experienced players, may not playoff experienced, but the Eric Deckers of the world and some of those offensive linemen on that crew and obviously Delaney Walker and, you know, guys on the defensive ball side of the ball like Arakpo and obviously Logan Ryan and, you know, Jarrell Casey now. And a lot of those guys are very expense, uh, experienced, very good pros. So, yeah, you have to be careful about bundling in some sort of opinion about the unit and, and then somehow sliding guys who you'll be fighting one-on-one with who are damn good football players. So that's the challenge, you know, not, you know, not exaggerating what these teams can do to you. The Titans are not going to, under any circumstance, beat you 40 to 10. They can't. I, I just don't think that there's no history of them being able to do something like that. The Titans do not have a history of walking in and really putting it on, putting it on anyone. That's just the facts of it. So you don't have to, you don't have to twist yourself in a pretzel trying to build them up to something they're not. Uh, what in, in regards to somehow being scary because they aren't scary as far as could embarrass you, could uh, demoralize you, could control you whistle to whistle. That's not who they've been. What they are is pretty tough. And if they keep themselves close and in the game, even the games they've lost, they stay in these things. There's a lot of 24 to 22s and 26 to 22s and, you know, 22 to 18s and 28 to 24s and 23 to 17. It's just a team that kind of lives in that world. And I think that breeds a certain degree of toughness. You know, that uh, you go back to that Kansas City game and, and it's a little bit obviously embarrassing for Kansas City to have been in such control offensively and then one guy goes down, uh, Travis Kelsey goes down and all of a sudden their offense seems you know, like it's completely lost uh, for the handful of series they needed down the stretch to finish that out. And that was crazy. But there's a flip side to that, understanding that the, the comeback has to happen with the offense competing against the other side, the defensive side, Bob Sutton's dudes not the Kelsey-less offense. So those things aren't connected. There's no, there's, no, there's no string there. So when Mariota and those guys rally and they had nice series, it was against the defense, not, not the offense and Andy Reid's play calling and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can say, yes, they were having, and it wasn't even play calling. We get that. It's the, the Nagy, Nagy, whatever, who's now in Chicago. Um, but the reason I make that point is that you have to sort of compartmentalize it. You have to pull yourself away from it and say, yeah, I've seen enough bad out there where I might 
come to the table with an opinion that has me overlooking this people, and that's dangerous, and I don't want to do that as a player, as a coach, as an organization, right? What you got to do is you look at what they do best, and you look at the stuff that really, really, really does deserve your respect. And going into Kansas City and winning under any circumstances deserves your respect in the NFL. It does, especially because Kansas City had been playing much better. Uh, Their down-the-stretch football was considerably better and, in my view, much closer to who they were in the maybe first five to six of the year, five, six, seven. So that's that's something to be appreciated when you're going and sitting and watching film. And when you hear Bill with his effusive praise of of, of the Titans, some may take it as over top this week. Portions of it slightly are. I might have to concede that in certain situations. But he's not just messaging the media members because he doesn't give a rat's ass about you or me at this point. Uh, who he's messaging is his own team. If he's if he's out there and dismissive about you know, Jarrell Casey, if he's out there and dismissive about Derek Morgan, if he's out there and dismissive about Wesley Woodyard, Woodlard, Woodyard, whatever it is, he knows that those guys will eventually hear that. He knows his own players will eventually hear that. But if he hears his own players, him, you know, pumping those guys up, it makes you go take a second look on film and make sure, okay, regardless of what I think about the Titans' overall chances of beating me, can my individual matchup give me problems? And Bill highlighting, this guy's been playing good, this guy's been playing good, this guy's been playing good. That's what resonates with you. You don't have to worry about a player. Like, say this, for me as an outside linebacker, the people I'm studying is the tackles and tight ends, right? The, the people that will be on the edges. I don't have to worry about what my thoughts are on their wide receiver crew. I don't have to worry about who, you know, how I think their safeties tackle on the other side of the ball. I don't have to worry about, you know, the the kicker uh, and the the kick execution and field goals of Ryan Suckup. That may not be relevant for me, right? You just focus on the stuff that you're going to touch, you know, do your job stuff. That's where that stuff came from. And uh, if you're like, well, you know what, uh, Taylor Lewan is, is pretty good, and I'm going to see a lot of him today, and that's all that matters. And I'll just focus on that, and, and that's really sort of the simple brilliance that's been behind this whole run you guys have gotten to watch for 17 years, 18 years. The shit ain't about the stuff that's, uh, should we worry about them? Should we worry about this person? The, the outside media narrative stuff, that's a really poor way to message individuals who have to play an individual sport to find a collective result. That just, that doesn't work. So that's that's what this is all about, and that's what the guys are studying about this week. And the Titans, as I looked a little deeper at them, uh, deserve a lot of respect. I don't know that the result, I think I can safely say this here, and it's just speculation, but I, I think the Patriots play this Titans team ten times. They win eight pretty comfortably. Uh, eight, you know, But what you're coaching for is not those eight. You're coaching for to prevent the two. You're coaching to make sure that the two never happens. And I think people sometimes miss that and say that, oh, you know, you beat the Bills last week by, you know, 23 to 3. Therefore, into perpetuity, you will beat them by 20 points. And that's not how it happens. Um, you, As a coach, as a player, you know that they're pros too. And if you play each other enough times, uh, there's that other side to them. And you just know that you're better. But you're not better every swing. You're better most of them. So you're trying to prevent the other, and that's what this week is all about. And I think the Patriots have, you know, from my conversations with some of the guys and, and you know, just the, where I think their heads are at and, and the coaches, they're, they're jacked and they're ready to go. And there's no overlooking anything here. Uh, they, they have a healthy respect for the Titans because of the kind of get you dirty, get you in the mud, and win when it counts uh, that they've had. Uh, they aren't sexy. Everyone realizes that. They're not, you know, they're not going to – fill up a highlight sheet necessarily, a highlight deck necessarily, but they're kind of just always hanging around at the end, and that, those kinds of teams can be scary. So uh, that's why you prepare the way you do. Let me take a big drink here of coffee, and we will head into the particulars. All right, now we'll start here on the offensive side of the ball for the Patriots, um, and, and what that means is we'll, you know, we'll look specifically at the Titans' defense and what they're all about and what I think you can expect if you're just simply watching this game and trying to pick up on a few things that might be sort of like the tendencies we talk about or the things that they do best, you know, that, that, might, that, that might suit them to try to slow down the machine that can be the Patriots' offense. And before we go into those very particulars, I think it's important to talk about who the Titans are going against. Um, we know this. One of the things we don't know going into this game is right tackle. Um, I kind of sort of presume just because he's been logging the weeks that, uh, you know, that the Adrian Waddle who's been down, he'd originally been the first fill-in tackle, but then now has been down. 
and then in the interim, Cam Fleming has kind of taken over the job. I don't see with a practice week them necessarily flipping back. I could be dead wrong, um, but it seems to me after giving Cam several weeks of the work and knowing that Marcus is down, even if Adrian had originally been their choice, his injury, and then Fleming allowing you know to play for an extended period of time, uh, maybe just going opting with the continuity is is the call here. Um, but I don't know that, and and sometimes you know that'll be one thing I'll be interested in see is are they willing to to switch that out possibly? Adrian's a little bit taller, bigger guy. The kinds of edge rushers you're going against uh, with the Titans, Jarrell Casey's actually a perfect example um, because they will actually uh, pop. You know, obviously he's a defensive tackle body, but in some of the three man rush, they pop the big dude out. Uh, and let you know this this 300 pounder rush the edge, and he's pretty good at it. He's surprisingly quick for as big of a man as he is. So uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting to see uh, where that's going to go, and because maybe they make a switch matchup base, but maybe they don't. So we don't know, and and we'll kind of we'll kind of figure that out as it, as it happens. Um, and you know, just it's just one of those little quirks. It may not matter. It's just something I want to alert you to. Maybe in inactives, you could. Get a little the thought process of where they, their heads might be at. Now, one of the other spots, obviously, that's been a big talking point is Chris Hogan. So the introduction him presumably back into the wide receiver rotation, I think, is obviously huge. Uh, but how what that affects is, you know, is the rep counts for Philip Dorsett, the rep counts for Kenny Britt, uh, the usage of three tight end sets more now. Do you feel really, really comfortable that you might lead group with Danny Amendola, Hogan, and and Cooks, and that might steal some some looks from your your twelve personnel with with you know having Dwayne Allen on the field as well. So um, that's that's interesting uh, to me, and just as his health swing them to more of an eleven team. Um, in a vacuum, or was that more how it is they choose to face LeBeau's group? Do they want to go more 11 anyway because they want to spread them out? So we'll find that out, and that'll be interesting too just because we know Hogan has been injured, had come back, re-injured it, or at least aggravated it, got some time down, has apparently been practicing well, uh, you know, building him towards this big moment here in the divisional. Uh, Does that mean 15 reps? Does that mean you know, 50% of the play call reps. Does that mean back to a normal volume where he's up in the 70 or 80% or whatever it is he normally does in, in his strongest season, so portions of the season. So we don't know that. And that'll, I think that, that, that actually plays to the Patriots' favor. So now as we look here, and again, I won't spend time on this, but the Malcolm Mitchell thing, complete unknown. We don't know, and he didn't practice at one point this week. So that's looking less likely, um, but we'll see. Uh, so... Again, this plays back towards how I then think the Titans approach the Patriots. And some of the things we can talk about here is what I think they do best and what the Patriots will have to be looking out for. What I think as a fan watching the game, I want you to kind of keep an eye for. Now, uh, third down pressures. Now, this is uh, Dick LeBeau is an, is an older gentleman. I mean, he's, I, I don't have it in front of me. I want to say, is he 80 years old? I, I hope I, I'm not misrepresenting the guy that way. But let me look it up real quick here in front of you all. Dick LeBeau, yeah, he's 80. Wow. He's 80. 80 is crazy. I mean, and he, he looks great. He's out there. He's, you know, he's, he's going, and, and he's still doing this. This is an incredibly draining and stressful profession. To be able to do that at eight years old is nuts. And I think some of that was echoed, obviously, in Coach Belichick's uh, respect for the guy. Now, we've obviously all seen the stats from Brady. Brady's had a lot of success against LeBeau defenses. Um, one of the things that was a little surprising to me as I, as I got into this week was, you know, by, by – reputation I think LeBeau defense and I think drop and uh I think drop and cover stuff you know I think the the zone blitz the old stuff where it's they all it's really blurring it bringing four but just the question is where the fourth comes from the confusion the off the ball guy comes the guy with hands down drops they mix the coverage behind it that kind of thing that's that's what you feel with LeBeau I saw less of that in this it's just at least in the Chiefs game um and you know back to the Rams game that was the other one I was interested in there's certainly some of it. You can find plays where it's the one that fits what you think of LeBeau's stuff, but he actually runs a lot of a lot of mix and match. So it's not all just what I had expected to see. So it's not zone blitzing throughout the game is my point. It's There's some of that, but maybe not more or less than, than other teams you see. So um, one place, though, where it does come in uh, more effect, or if you're watching at home, 
anticipated. I know the Patriots offense will be, but you get to third and over five. So a third and maybe six or third and six plus, you can call it. Uh, pressuring five and doubling the tight end. That was their chosen motive against the Chiefs, and I think there's relevance there because of, obviously, who the Patriots are with with Rob Gronkowski. So you're trying to figure out, okay, the stuff I'm watching here against the Chiefs, how much is this relevant? And I'd probably say somewhere around 50%. Half the plays, you're like, okay, they're doing this because of the mobile quarterback thing and you know, Tyreek Hill in motion each and every time and the, the building of stacks and motions with a receiver that might be a, a ball carrier. And, you know, they're doing different stuff and, you know, the 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 pistol alignment with, with Alex Smith and the back at different depth. And, you know, some of that stuff you're like, okay, what they're doing here defensively is to account for that. So, you know, you're not, what they're in, you can kind of erase it. The Patriots won't need to study that portion because it's probably more in response to what the Chiefs do other, you know, than anything else. That said, there are other times, especially you get down the red zone, you get into third down situations, and they're out of this pistol stuff necessarily. They're out of the game planning kind of stuff, and it's just more into get the first. And uh, in those situations, I think LeBeau's defenses can count on either bringing the fifth uh, when it's third and a little bit more uh, or bringing the, the unknown fourth and doubling Kelsey. So when it's, when it's bringing a fifth, now you're into man-free and you've only got one help element. So when you've brought that fifth guy, uh, your one help element, they, they seem to like the idea of going to double uh, the tight end. And uh, they didn't do great. Yeah, so you saw some of the big plays that Kelsey hit on in the first half. Those weren't on the double plays. So I'm not referencing that. I'm referencing times earlier where they snatch him up, uh, they go get him, and uh, they bring the fifth guy and got off the field early. So look for those kinds of things. It's like, okay, um, they actually might treat that the same because they might look at the receiver group and say, we feel okay with ourselves man-to-man across the board here. We'll play inside out. We'll play free safety in the middle, and we got to choose one to double. It, it's probably Gronk. And uh, a more aggressive double will go get him early. It's the times when they didn't double the dude or when they lost him in play action that, that they got in trouble. But um, I, I'd say, obviously, I've already I made this point, but Jarrell Casey, number 99, he's, he's one of the better defensive tackles in the league. He doesn't get a lot of pub because, obviously, it's not a big pub market uh, with Tennessee, and they're kind of a, a fringe playoff team, so some of their better players, I think, kind of get lost in the shuffle. But what's unique about him is he's heavy, and he's quick, and he's powerful, and he actually has some edge ability, which is weird for a bigger guy like that. So Jarrell Casey's the kind of dude that is really good in games, and, and games mean uh, like the, the pass rush games, where he's a picker, where you know he's, he's running up towards a gap and then trying to rub off the guy that's blocking the dude next to him. So that his guy, uh, so I'm sorry, that his teammate can come right off of his butt. You know, come right around him, uh, run a little X game or a pick stunt or something like that. Casey's really good at that because he's such a big dude. He ends up popping out the other side a lot and and, and being in situations for sacks or pressures like that. So it's not it's not that the, the rush was designed to get him free necessarily. It's designed to get the other guy free. But if they run the stunt really well, he comes to the other end. And I thought that was relevant because we know that, and I think particularly the right side from time to time, time throughout the late season had some issues with the pick game stuff and that's something that Tennessee's pretty good at and Jarrell himself is probably one of the best I've seen at doing it because he just kind of he's like a the bull in the china shop thing you know he gets he gets push uh which will be interesting to watch because obviously Shaq Mason plays low and with great leverage and the tackles for New England are pretty big but the passing off of the games are the stuff they struggle with so getting too much push as you pass off and then he pops through the other side now he's in you know, in Tom's face or right up against his arm, that can be a problem. So watch for that stuff. That's something they'll definitely be repping in practice this week and need to overcome. Uh, screen game to the outside, I think, is good. Uh, obviously, Kansas City is uniquely talented in that because Tyreek Hill is, is, very, is a great catch-and-run guy. But I, I think, again, the games that I looked at, I thought if you can – the front's pretty big. Uh, the athleticism comes from their outside linebackers. Morgan, uh, I call them outside linebackers, but they're, they're outside linebackers, but then ends in sub – uh, if they go with the four down line stuff, but that that's Morgan, that's Eric Walden, that's uh, that's Brian Arakpo. They've got a nice little rotation of athletic dudes on that portion, and in the fronts where they don't have those guys out there, they actually do a decent amount of three man rush, uh, especially more against the Chiefs. And I thought in part that was to have the soft low droppers, the inside guys, sort of spy the quarterback. You only rush three, flush them, go get them. Um, did they do that with Brady? Maybe less so. Uh, but the reason that matters is because when they go the three-man front, they were often doing it with the bigs, you know, letting, uh, I believe it's Wilkinson or Wilkerson, whatever their big nose is, the guy that came over from Denver. Uh, 
I believe. <laughs> hope I got that right. But then uh, Casey pops outside. And what that does is now you're big outside, big over the nose, and maybe more athletic at the other side. The right side typically defense is right, offense is left. Um, and in those cases, you know, uh, you know, you're just kind of looking to see if you screen them, if you get the ball out to the edges, that using the bigger guys out on the edges, then it becomes a little more to your favor. Can Jarrell Casey turn, get out to the numbers, and tackle, say, Philip Dorsett on a tear screen or Danny Amendola on a tear screen? Or, you know, that's areas where as good as they are back in the core, that's not where they, they're best used. So, you know, seeing if they catch them on a couple of these screenplays or catching them aggressively upfield with a back screen game. I think that's another area of vulnerability that I saw on tape. So uh, biggest thing here, and this has been a talking point, you know, the whatever that whatever that phrase was that people fell in love with with Miami, the uh, – one robber or whatever, <laughs> whatever that was. But the idea of playing man coverage, man free, uh, free safety in the middle of the field, man coverage where it's hardcore inside out. In other words, the defensive backs are going to take a full stride or full, you know, sort of offset themselves inside to try to prevent inside releases. And then, yes, have an air quote robber or whatever, an extra help player in the middle of the field. Um, uh, that's something you're going to see, absolutely. And uh, the, what Kansas City, at least when things are going well for them early on, did a great job, is sort of disguising the the release, where they start to maybe arc release outside and then cut across the guy's face. So you're arc releasing to try to let the guy give up a little about that inside leverage and then just shock him across his face and come back inside with slants, with crossers, things like that. But you're going to have to beat the, – the, the wide receivers are going to have to beat these hard inside leverages. They're going to either have to get back and cross face by goading them into sort of coming with them to the outside – or they're just going to have to stack them quickly if they've offset too much inside, you know, and just beat them that way. Beat them on outside cuts to just, okay, if you're going to take away so much inside, I'm going to get outside in a hurry. Or I'm going to get up to see him in a hurry uh, because you want to take away so much. But there's going to be, you'll see that. If you want to, you know, allow your attention to go that way and just watch some wide receivers on a player two or three or just stare at what's going on the outside or how they account for the, the slot person, the tight end that's in that place. Watch for them overplaying inside technique. And that's and that's actually a really smart thing to do in the playoffs when it's cold. Uh, we're getting, I believe, high 30s and just the ending of rain by the time the game starts on Saturday evening. So, you know, it'll be sloppy uh, a little bit. Maybe the field's a little wet. And maybe it's a little damp in the air, but the rain's not yet coming down. But forcing outside throws, things that have to go outside the numbers, where it's cool but not cold, that's usually the best approach anyway. You know, giving up inside stuff inside the hash numbers, or those are easier throws. Hard, you know, it's always harder if you make them go clearly further from where the quarterback's throwing the thing from. So keep an eye out for that. Now, um, number 37, uh, Cyprian, I actually don't have his last or his first name in front of me, but one of the safeties, there were times where he took Kelsey extended from the formation solo. And I thought that was a little bit interesting, um, you know, because. Man, if they, he's not the tallest defensive back. This isn't like an Eric Berry body type. This isn't, uh, you know, the, it, I, I, the moments they caught, got caught in that, I was thinking, good Lord, go quick, you know, go to it. Uh, not that he's a bad player or anything like that, but you've got a one-on-one match without a specific safety right over the top of it. That's something to feast on. And it's just something to watch at home, how many times they, they let themselves get caught in that, and does Brady immediately go to it? Number 37, Cyprian Braids, I think, uh, Dreads or whatever, uh, with Kelsey extended. So now it would be Gronk extended. If you catch him in that situation, there were enough times down to down where they weren't willing to say, okay, fully declared, two guys on him, don't go to Gronk. They don't do that every snap. And... Um, it actually popped up more when he wasn't in line, in line tight end being right next to the tackle, hand on the ground, or either in the hip next to him. But it, you know, it was easier to see when he extend him. So maybe you know, as you've seen Brady do over the years, widen him just to check it. You know, got Gronk there in the hip, and you know, give him a little motion out and tell him extend three or four yards and find out how they respond. And if you see just Cyprian walk out and no safety on the back end moves or adjusts or even seems to care, well, then you learn something, right? Or they're just disguising great, which is usually always the case. All right, moving on here. Uh, the Kelsey red zone touchdown. So this was a really interesting play to me. Um, again, I was trying to find the ones that I thought might be Patriots relevant. And it is red zone relevant, which is obviously where it is the most important stuff for the Patriots offense. They need to score down there. Uh, but – 
it's I think it was from about the 12, something like that. Um, and one of the things that uh, Kansas City did that was pretty unique is they had 12 personnel and they had two tight ends. Um, I think it was 12. It might have been 22. There might have been a fullback. I don't know. But the point is there's two tight ends on the field. And Kelsey is aligned, uh, if you're watching it from the end zone copy, uh, to Kansas City's left. He's in line to Kansas City's left. And pre-snap, you're down in the red zone. You're going to give Travis Kelsey a lot of attention. You know, right? He's their, he's their top guy. And you could tell pre-snap, they had a safety that was down to his side that was giving him sort of the point. That's my guy. I got him. And you've got middle of the field safety. You could tell there's a post safety right there. So it almost works like a double for anything that's going to move up the field towards the goalpost. So, you know, you just know that you know the, the safety can play hard outside leverage because if he sends anything back to the middle, the, the middle of the field is going to be there to get it. What happened was the, the, the tight end originally, the other tight end, the second tight end, actually had started off the ball opposite Kelsey and motions across the field. And what happens is on that motion, they bumped it, uh, which means sort of the, the, the responsibilities slide down the line. Uh, one linebacker who was otherwise going to have something else goes to the next. The other linebacker goes to the next. The safety, instead of staying on Kelsey where they would much rather have had him, bumps to this motioning tight end. So that was weird to see to me. So it wasn't they were just playing the formation as much as they were playing the personnel. And why I thought that was kind of interesting is you can imagine if Gronk has his hand down there in line like Kelsey and they have the intention pre-snap of doubling him with the, the middle of the field, well, it's really a double, but the middle of the field safety and and the and the safety on the outside of him. Uh, and all it took was a little motion, motion over Dwayne Allen and get the safety to come off of him. And then what's that do? That means it, it bumps to the next guy. That means the linebacker inside has him. And unfortunately, the linebacker has to read run pass much more than that safety does. So the linebacker takes one misstep on, the, on a run fake, and Kelsey's behind him. And then now that extra little middle-of-the-field safety is not as helpful because you're not delivering him to him. You're trying to retreat to go get back up to him. So you see what almost looks like Kelsey uncovered. And all that prompted that was the motion. You know, the motion and the fact that the that uh, the Titans hadn't pre-planned not to switch that off. You'd almost want them to not switch that off. You know, maybe let the outside linebacker take the take the uh, the motioning over tight end and then leave the two inside backs in and out on the, the remaining backs, something like that. But if they're going to just simply play the formation and not, you know, in, in, the, in, in the event of motion, not keep their best people locked on the, the number one target, which is that tight end, you can catch him. So we'll keep an eye on that. I'd like you people at home to keep an eye on that as a head in the red zone and see if maybe Gronk can steal uh, a red zone touchdown down there, uh, which is obviously always a, an issue one way or the other, even if he is covered correctly. So we'll keep an eye on that. Now, as one sort of parting idea here about the Patriots offense and my expectations of how they go at this defense, I'm looking hard at the running game. I think you have to be able to run the football against these guys. They're going to be trying to shorten it with you uh, on the other side, and we'll get into that here in a second with Derrick Henry and the run game for those guys and the, and the legs of, of Mar- Marcus Mariota. But I don't think you can get into a situation where you three and out yourself more than a couple times throughout the game. You don't want to get into a situation where you're a shot play on first and second down and it doesn't work for you and your running play was a one- or two-yard carry and you're looking at a lot of third and eights. You know, that's not what you want to be in against these guys because, as we mentioned, then LeBeau gets to do his fifth rusher or his hidden fourth, gets to double where he wants to, gets to declare things. You really want to stay out of that. So I say this with absolutely no knowledge and not really a decent guess of what will happen in regards to uh the uh in regards to oh I don't know. I completely lost the thought. You ever do that? Uh <laughs> I know we all do that. Uh but I, I I well I'll move off I'll move off that point then. Sorry about that folks. Um uh, one last little thing I wanted to talk about though on the defense is sort of my last note that I have here is oh I'm sorry I got it I found it hey there it is CTE the uh, I, I I'm not exactly certain which way the uh, the running game goes uh, although I'm presuming it will be a big part of what the Patriots need to accomplish I don't know if it's necessarily in their run sets or if it's sub running and that means running it from 11 personnel run it where the three wide receivers on the field running behind Gronk wherever it is you move him to uh, the more speed 
speed run stuff, you know, with Deion Lewis. I, I want to, you know, we all want to see him have another positive day. But I'm not certain if it's with the fullback in there and if, if it's with the second tight end. And they try to bloody these guys. Maybe not. You know, maybe they feel better with him spread out and still running the football that way. But the point is, when you hand it off to a guy, he's got to make yards. It can't be a day of ones and twos. It has to be a day of threes and fours. Those are really important setup plays. And occasionally you break one in there, you're good to go. But the exciting part of this, if you're a Patriots fan, is you should have a relative full complement. This should be one of the juiced, the most juiced day, day of game personnel days you have because you'll have a healthy-ish <laughs> Burkhead White, who's through interviews at least has sound like he's jacked and ready to go and ready to be explosive, and Dion. So the three backs feeling good about themselves, ready to roll. And um, Chris Hogan added back into the wide receiver group and a healthy tight end crew. So um, offensive line healthy other than your right tackle, which has been experienced. So I think overall, personnel-wise, you walk into this game saying, this is about as good as it's going to get with us other than Malcolm Mitchell, which, was a, which is a, a hope, of prayer, hope and a prayer anyhow. So um, feel good about that. Feel good about where it's going to go. How it plays out, I don't know. But I'm, I'm aiming, as far as guesses, you know, not doing Patriots this week, uh, at the stadium, we were just a regular season show, so we don't do playoffs. But I think if the Patriots, uh, the, the Vegas has it pretty close on the 14 number, two-score kind of deal. And that doesn't mean non-competitive game. I think you can just squeeze out that extra one later or an extra couple field goals to push it higher. But I do think that uh, I think that keeping the Patriots off 30 is going to be tough this particular week. So high, over 27, under 33, somewhere in that range with a close to two-score range. I think that's something that you can reasonably expect from this game, even though there may be pockets where it's very, very competitive, and I actually expect that as well. Now moving to the Patriots' defense and what they're going to face with Marcus Mariota and crew. Um, one of the things that I thought was very helpful, at least for me personally, and you guys know that I played with Bob Sutton down there for a while in New York, and, and Bob is you know old Army head coach guy, uh, defensive coordinator. Oh, was he head coach or was he just D.C. at Army? I don't remember, but you know, military guy, uh, really smart dude, really tough, focused. Uh, the way he sees defense uh, in my time there wasn't terribly dissimilar to what I was, was given in New England, and because he's a, a 3-4 guy that runs comparable coverages and comparable levels of pressure, he doesn't love to go blitz all day long. Um, I thought it was, an interest, it was interesting to watch how the Chiefs chose to approach uh, the the Titans and their use of the three four stuff was pretty effective in keeping the runs minimal, and uh, that again leads me back to last week's point about how I think they're much better suited to live in that stuff more now with James Harrison, especially if you're comfortable giving him thirty reps or more, you know. So I thought Bob's uh, use of especially against Tennessee's two Titan stuff. Coming back in, and the Titans love the two tight ends, by the way. They love two tights. They love three tights. They love two tights where the second's an actual offensive lineman. They'll even go occasionally where the offensive lineman's the end line, and Delaney Walker's extended and almost call him a wide receiver. So they use a lot of different stuff like that. And where 3-4 is good for that is you, you're mirrored, right? It's uh, three uh, is down lineman, defensive tackle, or the nose over the center. So you're mirrored, you know, there's, you're not favoring one side or the other. The, the two tackles, your two ends are over the two tackles, excuse me, and what's called five techniques or either their head up. But the point is, again, with symmetry, mirrored on both sides of the ball. So there's not like a strong side weak kind of thing. And you have your outside linebackers, I'm presuming Trey Flowers and James Harrison, in a rotational situation as the outside guys. Again, symmetry, same thing left and right of center. And then two inside linebackers, one over each of the two guards. That gives you sort of a mirrored look where they can't favor one side or the other. They can't start to stretch you in one direction, get you overplaying, and go do something else. So anyway, um, that uh, it's, it is what it is, and we'll kind of, uh, we'll kind of go from there and uh, see, see how they approach it. But what I saw with with Kansas City was some glimpses of what I think uh, may be a comparable approach from New England. And uh, Bob did use a three-man rush. Bob Sutton did use a three-man rush a lot against Mariota. And don't be surprised as a Patriots fan if you see the same. And the beauty of three-man is the guy rushing over center should be, there's that word again, symmetrical. In other words, there's not something different left of center than there is right. He's going to rush straight up over the center. So if he dives to one side or the other, now you got two guys left of center and only one to the right. That gives Mariota an escape route. You, 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 the beauty, though, of three-man rush and you in sub in the third and three stuff, third and four, third and five in that range, 
is that your other two guys, uh, the off-the-ball linebackers, the sub-linebackers, they have different names, but we don't need to get into that today. Uh, those guys can sort of become the fourth rusher. It's like sort of like a second contain idea or a second person in idea because you can let the three, probably not sack Mariota, but make him declare and step up into one of the two gaps. And then once he steps, the fourth guy comes, right? Uh, and he's sort of meant to be kind of like a mirror guy, kind of like the, the spy or whatever you want to call him, the quarterback. And that just is really your fourth rusher. So it's not like a four-man rush with the fifth guy as a spy. So you're not really killing that other dude that you could use otherwise in coverage. So I'm expecting some of that. I thought that the, the, the Chiefs did that to pretty good effect, more so in the first half, obviously, in the second. We'll touch on the stuff they did there then later. But the thing to note about the tight ends group is – Although this is a group that likes to go lots of tight ends, none of these guys are glass eaters, and that even goes for the guy that I think uh, Luke Stocker, I think his name was Luke, but Stocker, Stocker the blocker, I was calling him. Uh, but he's, uh, I guess, they're more hardcore blocker guy. They rotate him through in more situations. He's certainly not getting a lot of targets in the wide receiver game. But then there's, man, I hope I'm not butchering this guy named name, eighty number eighty one Janu Janu Smith number eighty one the tight end number eighty one. He comes in, and obviously Delaney Walker's your tight guy. But Delaney can be extended. He can be in line as a tight end. He can play more true tight end. But my point here is that even Stockers, at least listed anyway, looks as about a two fifty guy. And the way I see him interact with other backers at about that size, he's not overwhelming them. So he's probably in that range. Um, none of these guys are glass eaters. And all I mean by that is it's not like, hey, receiving tight end and then the, the big heavy, the 260 guy or 270 guy that, that mauls. You know. That's more how the Patriots kind of sit, except that they're, they're extended guys big too with Gronk. But uh, what Dwayne Allen is to, hey, he can be a mauler in line. He can overpower and, and control outside linebackers uh, with regularity. Uh, they don't really have that. So their, their big air quote tight end sets are with 240 and 200, just, just barely 250 tight ends. So albeit tight ends, they're not putting two tight ends together and walking people off the line necessarily. I think there's still pass threats in that situation. So it's, it's a little different idea, at least in my view of, of what the multi tight end stuff can be. Cause they're not going huge. They're just going guys that could possibly catch it as well. I think one of the most important things, if we were to sort of hit on things, if for some reason this doesn't go well for the Patriots, that will be a part of it, it's tackling. And you really, really have to tackle well against the Titans. A lot of their explosive plays come off of a first missed tackle and then an explosion from there. And there are a lot of just sit uh, routes or curls or hooks or whatever sort of the old high school words for those you want to use. Uh, just the sit-down stuff where you run to a place, you turn, you face the quarterback. Uh, it's real quick tempo. It's to get it out of Mariota's hands. It's not a full-field read. It's just, hey, I've got a little bit of off coverage. I've got a zone dropper. Have these guys go sit in the hole, get it to them, and then now it's catch and run. You know, Now can you get these guys down? And uh, that's, that's going to be the challenge on the outside with curl routes, on the outside with uh, the stuff that motions back in and ends up being a hook closer inside of the hashes. Get get him fitting it in there because he's got a strong arm and he's pretty accurate. And then uh, how quickly players either rally or are tight to those routes to begin with. That's a big factor in this game. You can't have missed tackles with these guys. It's not it's not a complicated uh, you know aerial attack down the field. It's more uh, big hitters with downfield shots mixed in with a lot of these tempo hooks and curls and simplistic stuff. Uh, and a lot of that coming directly off play action, off of his uh, pistol stuff himself uh, in, the, in the gun there with, with, uh, with Mariota. So just keep an eye on that. I think if for some reason you start, you know, you go back and look at a negative game here from the Patriots, if that were to be the case, and you see missed tackles uh, and, a, and then a highlight that comes after it, that won't be a surprise. That's, that's how they've kind of lived and survived. Uh, or someone just simply falling asleep on some of these set things, you know, Delaney motioning across the formation, running a, you know, a curl down there at 15 yards and you turn around and for some reason he got lost in it. And it's like, how does this guy not get more attention? He's like one of their top dudes. But um, catch chip and release. I wanted to, to make fans aware of that to kind of keep an eye out for this. Chip and release is the, the stuff where you get the little extra help from the tight end on, for the tackle for the edge rushers. And we obviously know the Patriots like to do that with Gronk. They do that with, Delaney, or from, with Dwayne Allen. Uh, and Delaney does that a lot for them where he aligns as if he's going to hit the tackle. 
and you know, hit the rushing guy to help the tackle out. And it's that little moment where he leaks after that where he's left alone a lot. And you've really got to be aware of him there in that situation as a defensive player. And you don't want to look back on this game and end up having five, six, or seven tackles, having you know three-quarters of those be from this chip and release play. Because you know the linebacker that had him or the safety that had him in coverage, when he saw him turn his attention to the defensive rusher, then your eyes get lazy and you look somewhere else and you kind of fall asleep on him and he slips out undetected. So... That's something they're good at. Take a peek for that. All right, coffee drink there. Early morning, got that sticky mouth. Um, so moving on, um, uh, one thing here that I wanted to uh, to make sure that you, you kind of check out, um, and it may not hit, but it's something that sometimes gets cut off in in uh, in the TV copy, TV just, you know, where we all digest it and watch it when you get to watch it on the tube. Um, as opposed to live, and I'll, I'll be down there at the game, and I'll be, I'll kind of be watching for some of this. What what Mariota likes to do is get in the gun with split backs, uh, and split backs meaning he's got one back each side of him, and they're in the gun, so it looks like they're in the gun as well. And they run what to me, at least you know, I don't have the play call, but I'm just kind of trying to watch his eyes and looking what he looks to first. It's sort of a wheel, uh, a wheel and go, I would call it, because the wheel itself is a go. But what what I'm saying is the back, you know. A snap of the ball goes quickly to the flat and then turns it up. It becomes a wheel. It's a wheel route. They call it that in high school. They call that really at all levels where you're just quick to the flat and then turn it upfield. And what Mariota often does is target it, look to it first. It's his first look. And then he'll follow the wheel with his scramble. And the reason I think that's relevant is because there's sort of two things going on there. Provided that the edge isn't great in the rush or that he's got an escape route. He knows that once the backer has gone with that wheel route, that second tackler or the second level tackler is gone with him as well. So it's, you know, the, the, those moments I've seen this a couple times in, a, in, in multiple games. I think that's what made, made me start in the notes and say, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, he's probably doing that on purpose. That's probably not an accident. And what that means is that, you know, this, this wheel element is in there. And it's not as if he watches the wheel and says, okay, back to drop back and let's look at all the other routes and see what's going on with it. It's almost as if it's more a simplistic read. If that's not there, maybe you're looking back to the check down from the other back if he's back in your view or the tight end crosser or something. But he doesn't look like he ever really gets that deep in the read on those. He just gets into his escape. And there's room to escape because of the runoff. So I thought that was a cool little element and uh, probably a smart thing for the do for them to do. I think their best chance, obviously, is, is many plays that generate and run through Mariota that use his legs are, are probably best um, having him throw 35 times and just try to pick you apart. That's that's not the best formula for them. They know that there. We know that as as spectators. Um, one of the things uh, that I think you should also kind of keep an eye out for as a, as a sort of consumer of this and watch for this, keep an eye uh, on how the defensive backs who aren't involved in the pass uh, or in a pass target uh, react to Mariota. And there are other defensive backs who have gotten really great breaks off of him because I think he still stares stuff down a little bit. He's into his third year, I believe. I think it's third. And he still has that tendency to get caught up on something. And when he's going to Delaney, and everyone knows he's going to Delaney, there's a bit of a tunnel thing that happens there. And you see some of the defensive backs who may be, say, man-to-man on another receiver who's just doing a runoff route. And they don't feel threatened necessarily by the runoff because it's not a huge part of their game. But they're able to look back at the uh, they're able to look back at the receiver, uh, or I'm sorry, look back and read Mariota's eyes and come off uh, their receiver and help uh, on the other route. Uh, and that's it's not necessarily the responsibility, but it's just a great read. I think Mariota's great to get reads like that off off of. And again, I just watched the two games more recent, and uh, I thought they the other teams were doing the same thing as if their defensive backs had been told hard reading Mariota. Uh, getting your eyes back inside as you carry routes on the outside and stealing them on the outside. They had an interception, did the Chiefs on that, where it was just simply man, man across the board, and the runoff game was a guy was able to look back and, and steal one. We know Malcolm Butler is good at that. He's had many of those in his career where it's just having good eyes and good eye discipline You know, as, as the quarterback stares down someone else. and Can you safely come off and make the play without losing your own coverage? So I found that pretty interesting, keep an eye for something like that. Now, um, he, let's go to the running game. We cannot miss that part because this is probably the most important part other than Mariota's legs himself. Stopping Derrick Henry and stopping the, 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 the Titans running game. 
what's unique about it and what I think, uh, you know, I would have loved to have been in that room this week as a linebacker, uh, as a guy trying to drill in on tendencies and try to hone in on a team. I think there's some really strong tendencies of the things they like to do in certain backfield sets. And surprisingly, even with the big back, Henry, we're not talking about fullback stuff here. We're not talking about, you know, like they've got their version of a Devlin and they're using the heavy back in pro-style sets. It's not that, and I think a lot because this is Mariota. But it's the gun stuff or pistol, and back, Henry being offset, uh, Derrick Henry, big dude, almost looks like a tight end back there, offset to one side or the other. And what I found really interesting, and this is more player stuff than media guy now, but that you could really get a jump on what where the play was going to go or the kinds of plays they would run. At least you could sort of segment into it, segment it based upon where Henry was relative to the gun. Uh, so if Henry was offset to the tight end in gun, uh, they like to run it back to the open side. They actually like a lot of open side runs in gun. And that's interesting because usually, you know, the reason you have the tight end there is because you have the extra blockers there, um, you know, the one extra blocker. Or then you can, you know, motion down a receiver and crack with it and, you know, run power type stuff out there, some sort of modified power kind of situation. But Or you can add in back to the tight end side a guard from the backside. But they don't always do that. They do a number of different kinds of runs, uh, and it's basically just whether or not the Garden tackle high arm and try to, you know, sort of encourage you upfield and allow that back to the open side run for Henry to go just off the center's butt, uh, sort of more towards an inside gap open. Or do they high arm back, well, high arm's the wrong word, but just, uh, you know, try to, try to hook, I guess, at both the guard and tackle position and let that open side run bounce. There were several of good runs like that for, for Derrick Henry. Um, and one of the other things is, is the opposite situation where Henry is to the other side. So look for this. So Henry's in the gun, but offset away from the tight end. Now in those situations, they don't keep the run to the tight end. It's not going to be draw back to those open side things. Look, if you're watching at home, oh my gosh, it's, you know, pre-snap. I'm looking at the Patriots. I see Henry offset open again. Those situations, if he's going to be involved in a run, send him back to the tight side. And sometimes it's send him back to the tight side with the guard in tow. So they're adding in that backside guard, an additional blocker front side, and this big-ass dude there. And in those moments, that's why it's great to have Trey Flowers playing good on the edge or James Harrison playing good on the edge. Because when they start doing pullers, they start doing power schemes like that, or they start doing plays where you can get a jump on that and you really need an edge, the edge has to be tight. If it widens a little bit, there's a little bit of space here because we're talking about gun runs and, you know, the Titans are in more of an almost sub kind of feel. But they've got big-ass offensive linemen, and they get you moving just one little bit with this this sort of gun run stuff, and you create a gap, and that, that semi-truck of a back gets through. So one of the things I, I sort of as a parting shot here on the offensive uh, uh, system that I noticed, uh, you know, the, you, and you can think back to this. If you played little, you know, you played Pop Warner, Little League football or high school or even if you played some college that old machine that they used to have that had the arms, you know, like the old, I don't know, machine's the wrong word, but the thing, it was like a gauntlet that had little pads on uh, things that look like arms, and the back runs through, you know, just plows through those 20 little arms, and it bounces off of them. It's meant to be a kind of, you know, simulate the strip or simulate the arm tackle and getting the back to run through it. That stuff in a real ball does not work with Derrick Henry. You can find so many clips of guys who are not quite separated from their blocker reaching out with one arm, where you sometimes some of those bigger defensive tackles can get away with that, you cannot get away with that with him. <laughs> he runs straight through those things, just like he's running through the old the old that old machine in high school. So uh, keep an eye for that. You're going to need great separation for your defensive tackles and defensive ends up front to get off and put a body in front of Derrick Henry. If you're putting an arm around him and then grabbing his waist, he'll fall forward for four and five each and every time, and then you're up a shit creek. So that's kind of my big breakdown, the big picture stuff of both sides of the football here. Again, I think this is still ultimately a great matchup for the Patriots, one that they should certainly be favored in, one that I think goes their way more times than not. But there are ways that the Titans can make it hard on you, and there are ways that they can muddy this. And if you get into a negative turnover differential kind of situation, if you don't get them to turn it over and... Brady has another, what's usually uncharacteristic, but that has been characteristic for a month or so, uh, pick. You know, one interception that's a head-scratcher, especially if you get returned for seven. Or for some reason, someone puts a ball on the ground for the Patriots, which is 
almost never been a thing throughout this year. I think a crazy low number like four for the whole season, if I, if I remember correctly. But you avoid that. Take that off the table. No turnovers, ball security. Okay. They're not going to score more than somewhere between 20 and 24 points. It's just it's almost unheard of for them to do that against a good defense, and the Patriots have a very good defense. So if you know you're going to live in that world, you got to stay ahead of the game with the turnover stuff. You got to capitalize on your red, own red zone opportunities, and you got to you really want to stay out of a situation where you're down to a final drive with these people. It's much better to control them earlier, get gaps, and have them maybe get in a late score to find that. You don't want to be in a spot where Mariota gets a little energized and they get into two-minute mode or four-minute mode and he gets out and just gets a little more liberal with his choices to leave and he breaks a play and runs for 25 yards, you know, and, and he field flips with his feet. Or he starts hitting check downs in space or they just start gashing you with a run. Those are the situations that you don't want to be in with these guys because they deserve a lot of respect in the ugly games. They're good at ugly. These are very proficient uglies, if you want to put it that way. But that's who you're facing this week. And most importantly, enjoy this. I know there are a lot of other places, a lot of other outlets, a lot of other print, video, TV, radio, podcast, whatever it is, that tried to make you not get to en- enjoy this season. That's kind of, in, in, in the real big takeaway, what we wanted the Real Thing Patriots podcast to be about. Inform you, you know, have it be insightful, hopefully. But also to remember this is supposed to be fun. We weren't building these up to make you miserable throughout the season. We're not supposed to make you, you know, have loose stool all year about worrying about an opponent or worrying about something going on with a team. That's not the best way to consume sports. It's not the best way to follow a team. And uh, I think if you're listening to the show, hopefully you're doing it the right way. And I hope that you enjoyed this season. We're going to keep going as long as the Patriots keep going. And uh, as I always say, uh, I want you to have fun this weekend. I want you to enjoy the game. Hopefully I gave you some information to make that a good deal. Other than that, kick back, enjoy it. Have some drinks if that's your thing. Enjoy some good food. Enjoy sort of the community uh, and good fellowship with family. And get out there and enjoy this game. Have fun. That was your Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chan. Thank you for always for checking in. Hopefully we're doing another show next week. Talk at you then. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.